Hi, it's Rich. Hello, it's been a while. I've had a lot of other things going on in my life and I've badly neglected the podcast, but I'm back. I'm excited to do some more episodes. Thanks so much if you stayed subscribed. I really appreciate it. A quick note about this episode. It was actually recorded many months ago, so keep that in mind as you're listening, especially with any super timely references. Also, Whitney talked a lot about her level of experience, and I know she's leveled up a lot more knowledge-wise since we talked. I think it's a really fun interview, and I hope you'll enjoy it. Welcome to Cube Cuddle, a podcast about Kubernetes and the people who build and use it. I'm your host, Rich Burroughs. Today, I'm speaking with Whitney Lee. Whitney is a staff technical advocate at VMware. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Do you, do you just um, hear your own voice and be like, wow, I have such a lovely podcast voice and just jump right well, into it? <laughs> I mean, that's that's very flattering. Thank you. I. I have a, I had a lot of people tell me that, and and I expect that it's like um, definitely one reason why people um, listen to these things. But it's always like there's always that weirdness when you hear yourself, you know, because yeah. um, like normally when you hear your voice every day, a lot of what you're hearing is the bone conduction in your head, oh. you know, not the not the stuff that's coming out of your mouth like uh -huh. everybody else does, and so we all sound different, you know. On recordings than how we're used to hearing ourselves. Is is the buttery podcast voice something you're born with or something that's cultivated? Um, so maybe I was born with it. I don't know. So I haven't told the story before. It's like you're interviewing me. This <laughs> is wild. Um, this is uh, so I actually worked as a radio DJ for a suburb ah. um, in high school. Amazing. And so um, I did have a tiny bit of background in this. It was. It's a long, crazy story. I worked at this radio station where we played heavy metal music in like 1983. And, um, <laughs> that sounds like a, a wonderful yeah. place in time. Like I'm just, <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm sitting yeah, at the I, desk the first right time, now. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I was so nervous that they had me drink like a beer before um, <laughs> I went on because I was just terrified. Um, but yes. So hello, Whitney. <laughs> hello. This podcast is about you, not me. Um, so... I, I actually really like Staff Technical Advocate as a title, and I thought it was really interesting, and I wanted to ask you about that. Like, how did that come up? Was that something that <laughs> VMware came up with for you, or was that your idea? <laughs> I, uh, well, your guess is as good as mine, uh, as far as that goes. Is it a title? Is it unique? Is it? I don't know. So, so, um, so I mean, I think... Yeah. I was just going to say, I think Developer Advocate is a lot more common, but uh -huh. it's interesting because... I've definitely heard conversations um, like a lot of the people that I that I know come from like the DevOps space mm -hmm. and um, and a lot of those folks are more on the ops side than yeah. the dev side. Right. Mm -hmm. And and they're def I've definitely seen conversations that like developer advocate maybe isn't, you know, really applicable to somebody who's talking about infrastructure and not, you know, not infrastructure as code as much, you know, mm -hmm. but. But, you know, databases or, you know, storage or other things that like maybe maybe developer advocate isn't isn't the way to go. And I think the technical advocate is really interesting as a description. Uh, 
so I'm I'm very new here. I'm sure we'll get into it, like new to tech in general. Like I've, I wrote my first line of code at the beginning of 2019 and I've only had one other job at IBM and I was in a sales position or, or technical side of the sales side uh, before I came over here. So I, I only recently even learned what a developer advocate was, period, when I got the job. And then when they gave me the job at VMware, I also had no idea that the staff part of the title was like, had some clout to it or some status. And and so I, since then I figured out staff, the staff has status. Also, I really don't care about status very much at all. Maybe not at all. And then, um, and then the technical part, I've kind of guessed basically at what you're saying is it does make sense that I would not be restricting who I'm advocating for to only developers. Like technical, I think, has a bigger scope of who the person who might relate to my work. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. interesting. Um, so you you kind of hinted at, you know, the fact that you're new to the industry. Um, you and I met at KubeCon Detroit and uh-huh. and um, we we had a chance to chat there like I think like one of the first days, it was one of the pre-event days day or something. Zero, yeah, and uh-huh. yeah, and and we had a chance to talk at like one of the parties there. And I was honestly really surprised, like after talking with you to find out that you were so new to the industry. And and um yeah, maybe you could talk us through like kind of what you were doing before and like how you got started, all of that. Oh goodness. Okay. Uh I'm thinking, how far back do I want to go? Um I, I studied photography, my degrees in photography, and at and that's what um, and I graduated in 2003. I'm I'm 43 years old, and so I had um, I had a career as a wedding photographer. I owned a wedding photography business for 10 years. I had photographers who worked for me, um, but the short the short version of that story is basically the business ran me instead of me running the business i i learned a lot of valuable life lessons of uh project management and dealing with egos and stakeholders and uh, emotions (laughs) with weddings that actually very much translates to the software space uh and then and then um i i hated it actually by the time i stopped doing it and my brother's band started to get some notoriety, but my brother's band isn't a band per se. It's him, it's his own project. And then he would write all the parts and then hire studio musicians to do the stuff he couldn't do. And so when his his album got some notoriety, he needed to put together a live band to tour. So he asked me to be in the live band based mo- mostly on nepotism and the fact that I'm easy to get along with. Uh, it, I, and if you're I can't be see how nepotism in comes into it. That, <laughs> I'm just saying just two, two factors that were considered, I think, before talent was considered. <laughs> but um, I do, I have read that siblings' voices do blend well. And I did, we did sing a lot of harmonies together. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I basically, like, um, the opportunity to tour with my brother in a band was the out that I needed to like quit my life without maybe feeling embarrassed or feeling that I I didn't succeed at something. And so I was like, sure. yes, I went out. So I, I packed up, I dissolved my business. I returned couples deposits. I like actually spent my savings doing that. I My por- partner at the time, we'd been together eight years. They weren't supportive. So got rid of them, got all my stuff, put it into storage. So I didn't even have an address. And I toured around the country in a white van wow. 
playing pretty songs with my brother for 20 all of 2014. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. It's, and then I you mean, um and oh, oh I was you said that's amazing. It is amazing, I suppose, but I think my story part of what makes it compelling is that um I I ended up in a spot where uh the fact that I'm doing well right now makes my story more interesting than if I was not doing well right now. That's what I'm trying to say. I mean, that's totally valid. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. I think that um, one thing that interests me is, uh, like you mentioned, some of the lessons that you kind of learned, like <laughs> doing that other work and how you're able to apply them to this. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about the fact that... Um, you were running an actual business for 10 years that had to make payroll and wasn't getting funded by venture capital. <laughs> like, do you think that that like maybe contributes to being successful in tech? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, maybe less of the funding part and more of the people management part or, or, yeah. um, uh, setting expectations definitely or even today i was bef in the pre-show before the you choose episode we're kind of talking about um my ability to wrangle guests and i was just like it feels a lot like wedding photography like i would meet people and then immediately need to boss them around about when to be where and how i want them to pose but i'm really helping them look their best in the end so um yeah of but course. like i need like i i have like 10 seconds in a wedding photography situation and now in this youtube situation that i need to earn someone's trust and nicely tell them what to do in a way that is that feels kind and good and not like I'm bossing them around. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, those are the skills that at this moment that are translating that are, that are making me think back, thinking back to my wedding photography days. That's but, interesting. But my story so far, I've only brought you to 2014. And oh, so, okay. Let me. I I was just going to say real quick, um, yeah. just for people who may not be aware of it. So you choose is your new streaming thing that you're doing with Victor Farchich. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. So folks mm -hmm. aren't um, familiar with that. Yeah. Victor okay, Farsic. go ahead. Um, so we're in 2014 right now touring in, in mutual benefits. And actually it's, it's, that's the name of my brother's band. And so um, tour ended. I'm back in Austin. I don't know what to do with my life. I was a, a, a driver for Lyft and Uber for a couple months while I was like, what am I doing? And then, um, and then I, I started working in restaurants because I so badly didn't want to go back to wedding photography and I didn't know what to do next. So I actually worked in restaurants for a number of years um, during that time. And I think it was great. I actually really enjoyed working in restaurants. Uh, again, with earning trust quickly and, and being good at communication and this time with some physical mm -hmm. hustling behind it all. And, um, and during that time, my son is, was in college and he was he was in getting a CS degree and he was like, mom, mom, you would really like coding. You should do this. And oh, so, wow. Yeah. I didn't know this part of the story. <laughs> yeah. My son convinced me to, to try out a coding boot camp, and that's how I got started in tech. So my son now is a front end developer at Adobe and he lives in Berkeley. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's so trippy. Like, um, I've definitely heard it the other way, right? Where mm -hmm. like the parents were engineers and then mm -hmm. the kid grows up and gets exposed to it that way <laughs> and they, you know, end up becoming engineers. But I don't know that I've heard of someone <laughs> like getting the idea from their kid. That's so cool. Yeah. And we have a little 
little bit of the flip side too, where he and I went to the bouldering gym one day and, and the, the person behind the counter was like, oh, that's so cool that you're showing your mom bouldering or that you're bringing your mom with you to bouldering. And I'm just like, whatever, I showed him how to boulder. I'm giving him the tips. Like, let's <laughs> not make any assumptions here. <laughs> yeah, we're tight. It's actually, we actually have, we talk on the phone every week, my son and I, and we have hours long conversations about like, what it feels like to first navigate corporate landscape as because we basically started our corporate jobs at the same time and and are going through that life experience simultaneously just a generation well, apart. yeah and those are big companies too <laughs> right yeah, uh-huh. Adobe, and then with you ibmware and vmware uh-huh. it's like yeah there, <laughs> there's a lot to do there i've kind of tended to to stick more with the smaller companies because i think i don't I don't function that well in bureaucracies. Maybe it's my ADHD, but I get really frustrated if there's like, if I need to get 10 people to sign off on a (laughs) thing that I could have had done already, you know? Yeah. I try to, in life in general, and definitely in a corporate environment, I try to limit my sphere of concern to my sphere of influence. So that that helps eliminate a lot of the mumbo jumbo. If there's some weird upper level, if we're about to get reorged into something else, just let me know how that touches my job. And otherwise, I'm just not going to concern myself with it unless it's something I can actually affect change over. Wow. That is uh, probably a really, really useful way to look at it. Kind of zen, right? I'm just <laughs> going to worry about what I, what I can actually have control over. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So you did a coding boot camp, and then I think you worked there for a little bit afterwards. Is that right? Um, yeah, it was. They just had a program at the boot camp. Um, if for the top students, you know, no, I wasn't actually especially talented at the coding part, but I I did have the people skills. I'm talented at people skills, yeah. and um, and so they invited me to turn around and be a, a TA, basically their version of a TA. Gotcha. But I I only did that for half of the time I signed up to do it before I got hired at IBM. So I actually, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm wondering like, uh, this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but I bet Mm -hmm. that we have some listeners who like have maybe thought about going to a boot camp or something like that. I'm just wondering like what kind of advice you would have for, for somebody in that situation who is maybe considering doing that. I thought it was amazing. It, clearly completely changed my life um just like anything you're going to get out of it what you put into it and then when you're looking at a place it's a good idea especially if you're dropping a lot of money on it to to make sure they have a career services part to see some stats on people who actually get jobs after they graduate because i when I lucked upon a high quality one, but I have known people who went to ones that weren't very, didn't set them up for success. So when you're looking at a boot camp, you don't just look at the curriculum. I recommend looking at results and results being job placement, not like a certificate, but like show me the jobs, show me the jobs and, and like, <laughs> and the starting salary, please. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And then um, you went to IBM went to IBM. Did you start doing cloud native stuff there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I learned about Kubernetes for my IBM interview. So I, I actually watched an IBM cloud um, lightboard video 
And that was my first introduction to Kubernetes by Cy Venom, who I just had a drink with last week. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so I was, IBM at the time was putting together a team. They had a, a product called Cloud Packs. And so they're putting together a, a Cloud Pack acceleration team. And our job was to build out front end demos for companies that were interested in buying Cloud oh, Packs cool. or using the IBM technology. And um and they had the idea that they were going to hire a bunch of people, like fresh graduates. So a lot of fresh CS degree graduates and then a lot of um, boot camp grads like myself and and then train us up. And so that's that's what happened. And it was an interesting life experience to start fresh at a company in a cohort of people who are my son's age. Like I was easily 10 years older than the next person. And and actually the the boot camp place, I look maybe younger than I am, and the boot camp place advised me to hide my age as part of like don't mention your son. Don't wow. put your super interesting. Yeah, don't put your the the year you graduated college. It's gonna show them how old you are. Yeah. They told me the career services person told me to hide that. And I did. Uh which I guess maybe it was good advice because I got the job. I don't know if that, how that would have changed things. Yeah, I mean, who knows? But but I um, I am also somebody who looks younger than my age. Like uh -huh. a lot of times, people you know guess my age at like maybe ten years younger, and then at some point, I make some comment about you know how Reagan uh, was president when I was a teenager or something, and totally out myself. A, a, a heavy metal DJ in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, that too. That's a good one. Yeah, but but it's interesting, and and I think that ageism in the industry is real. You know, I yeah. don't think that uh, that that's bad advice necessarily for somebody. It's it's sort of a shame that we have to do that. But, mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, now that I'm in a, a position with some visibility, I love saying my age. Just give me a T-shirt, like I'm 43, because I want to. I want other people to see that it can be done, and it it, it has been done, and not give up before they even try. So like as a woman and as as a older person, which I don't feel older, but you know, relatively speaking yeah. for people enter, entering the industry or for career changers, um, I like yeah. to I like to be big and loud for that reason. No, we're we're both absolutely ancient. I mean, there's just no no denying it. We're <laughs> we're so old. <laughs> no, I uh, I think that's a really great point. Um, so how old were you when you went to the boot camp then? 39, 39 when I wow, first started, yeah. 40 when I graduated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, I wanted to chat more about KubeCon Detroit um, because you did a keynote there, which was... What the what? Yeah. Wild. <laughs> so so you did this keynote with Mauricio Salatino, who I yeah. want to make sure to shout out because he I is awesome. Such a great Mauricio. person. Salaboy. Yeah, one of my mm -hmm. yeah, one of my favorite folks in the community. We'll definitely link to to some of his stuff in the show notes. Um, the the talk I thought was a really great illustration of what platform teams are and how they should operate in terms of how they interact with engineers and 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 what are the best ways to do that. Mm -hmm. And then we also made the platform engineers into superheroes <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and the, yeah it was um receiving the email 
Like I was, I knew I would find out whether I got into KubeCon that day. And so I was like che- checking my email obsessively, like like one does. And when it said you, it's been accepted for a keynote, I just like, I didn't even know an earned keynote that it, it even existed. This is, I'd only ever been attended to other KubeCons. So this is my third KubeCon I've even been to. And, um, and what, and I was just like, this can't be right. Like there must be like some other keynote situation. That's there's no way they're talking about main stage. Right. And I like, this is the keynote in the basement, right? (laughs) Right, Yeah. (laughs) The keynote that happens a week before anyone arrives. (laughs) And so I pinged my manager and she hadn't heard of it, uh, an an earned keynote either. So I like screenshotted it and sent it to her and then like all caps, like, Oh my God, you have a keynote. (laughs) And I was like, "This? How is this real?" But um, so Victor and I both—not Victor, Mauricio and I t- both took it really, really seriously. Like, this is this is a gift. We've been given the opportunity to do this, and we're we're going to to work our hardest and do our best. And and I feel very lucky to be paired with Mauricio. He's so knowledgeable, and I hope he feels lucky to be paired with me. I feel like a lot of the beginning of our prep for getting ready for this is him teaching me about platform engineering. <laughs> and then um, I thought that yeah yeah I mean I thought that the combination of your different talents was actually super cool right because you you uh I thought brought a lot of creativity to it for people I'll link to the talk in the show notes in case there are folks who want to see it that didn't but um you know there was uh, you did a lot of illustrations and stuff yeah. and, and brought a lot of creativity to it from that perspective and then Mauricio is the the demo person, right? <laughs> Rolling up his sleeves and and getting into, you know, actually um, running the stuff. And and I thought that it was a really nice combination. And thank you. Um, yeah, I I wrote a blog post about my experience at the conference, and I talked about this a lot because, of course, as you know, I'm like, you know, at the company that makes this tool called V Cluster, mm-hmm. and it was featured in the demo, um, and we were. Honestly, like I was over the moon about this because um, I arrived at the company in April of 2021, um, probably just a few weeks before it got open sourced. So okay. it was actually in our commercial product at that point. Ah, got it. And, you know, that's partly why they wanted to hire somebody, right? Is because uh-huh. they wanted to open source this thing and get some push behind it. And um, and so I've seen the whole project, right? You know, the whole life of the thing. And uh-huh. so to end up at this point where... You it's know, your baby. I've seen it up on the big stage. Yeah, yeah it was your just, baby's all grown up. Just beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's been really, it's been really cool to see um, the amount of enthusiasm that there is for it right now, it's and I really think that's cool. because it solves a real, pro- you know, real problems that people have. So, um, but yeah, no, it was a really cool demo. You know, Crossplane was involved mm-hmm. and um, other things, and and. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, V Cluster definitely is at the center of, of that, of a good solution with good isolation that where it's not too costly. Yeah. I think that um, to me, the way that I've thought about platform engineering, a lot of it comes from several years ago, I was between jobs, right? And mm-hmm. and when I left SRE, I was thinking about um about going into product management and I was looking around and I was seeing teams starting to hire product managers for their infra, you know, for their platforms. And that was the point where I kind of saw this coming, right. You know, and, and maybe three years ago. So like an, a developer, an internal developer facing PM. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. One of the things I really, really liked about the keynote was that idea of like giving developers a really clear interface, you know, for like how they define one of these, you know, dev environments and and how things get deployed. Absolutely. And it makes sense that you would like that because I feel like vCluster makes a lot of sense to be right in the center of that experience. Um, the fact that with cross-playing, you could just spin up without a developer needing to do anything except make a call to an API. You can spin up a vCluster that already has whatever they need, let's say Knative and Postgres, like pre-installed into it. And then it's immediately ready for a developer to use. That feels like magic because the fact that they don't have to provision their own cluster, they don't have to install the stuff, they don't have to integrate the two tools with each other. It just happens from an API call to the platform. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. In the demo, it's just like a YAML file that like defines like some things like the name and stuff like that. And then it's just it's just all magic. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I spent a lot of my career as like an ops person working really closely with engineers, you know? Uh -huh. So I used to I used to do this thing that um, you don't really hear this title anymore, but I used to be what we would call an application administrator. And for folks oh. who are familiar with it, like think like IBM WebSphere, like you're okay. <laughs> you're the person like kind of helping people like get their applications deployed, get them configured uh -huh. correctly, um, troubleshooting problems with the running services or applications, you know. All of that kind of stuff. And I was in that role, those sort of roles for like 10 years of my career, you know? Uh -huh. And so um, I, you know, was working with people, you know, obviously a lot on production stuff, but also, you know, we owned like the dev environments and things too. And so, um, yeah, a lot of these things, you know, I've, I've been on kind of the other side of, right? I've been the person who people were opening tickets up to like get a new thing provisioned, you know? And, and. During the keynote, we were actually really careful to always talk about application teams and how application teams can develop a uh, uh, benefit from a platform instead of being saying the developer, the developer, the developer. Because yeah. it's, it's a, yeah, there are a lot of people who stand to to have easier jobs in a good way by by the streamlining that experience. Yeah, I actually saw um, Joe Beto was talking about that idea. Um, on Twitter, like uh, maybe six weeks or eight weeks ago or something about, about okay. um, not liking the tool developer, right? Or the term uh -huh. developer that like, you know, those teams include the docs people and the, the product people and everybody else, mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's all of them working together. And then something as I've been trying to navigate as a new learner who's just entering into this space is yeah. um, how, how, deep do developers usually go in terms of how much Kubernetes they have to configure or how much they need to know about the infrastructure they're about to deploy to yeah. or any of that. And I imagine it varies a lot from company to company. Is But like, is there a normal, and maybe I'm really asking this question or maybe it's just a hypothetical, but like, is there a normal and like, it, is it like a super like large company might be able to afford to have roles that are more specialized where an application developer doesn't have to know that much, where I'm guessing a smaller company than especially the developer would need to know the full stack of everything that's happening. Yeah, I think that's generally true. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I'm one of those people who, um, I mean, I'm always interested in people who have roles like consulting roles, you know, things like that, because I think that 
they tend to get a look at the broader sort of, you know, what's happening mm -hmm. in the industry, you know, than somebody who spends like years working at one specific company, right? Like, yeah. like somebody who's consulting, they might work with multiple clients even, you know, within the same year and, and see a lot, I, I guess, see a lot of shit is maybe how I would put it, you know, right? Um, <laughs> and I don't necessarily have that that sort of view, you know, but I think that there's a there's a few things that come into play. Um, I think one of them is just level of interest, right? Like there's some yeah. there's some engineers out there who work on, you know, the the products the company is selling who really, really are interested in infrastructure mm -hmm. and Kubernetes and things like that. And there are others who could not care less and maybe even actively dislike having to think about those <laughs> things, you know. And this is something I, I talk about a decent amount because um, I think that there are there are people out there, like, I wouldn't say it's a big part of the community or anything, but there definitely are people out there who sort of look down on people who don't understand Kubernetes or, or more importantly, who don't want to, you know? And, yeah. and to me, it's like, you know, if you're hired by a company to build a product, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's your job. And that's the thing yeah. that you're going to get measured on is like, mm -hmm. did you deliver this important product? Did you, you know, support it well? Did you provide updates? All that kind of stuff. Like as a product engineer, you are literally never going to get a Kubernetes quiz and that's going to mm -hmm. be part of your yearly performance review, right? That's <laughs> never going to happen. And so, yeah. And so I think it's really, you know, first off, I think it's just unfair, you know, to expect mm -hmm. people in that position to like care about Kubernetes. Um, and I also think there's a there's a good argument to be made that it's not super productive. But but I think you're mm -hmm. right that in that people at smaller companies, they just tend to have to wear more hats and stuff. Right. And so mm -hmm. like the place that I work, we're 25 employees now, I'd say probably at least 10 or 10 or 12 of that is engineers. Like we don't have a de dedicated infra person, you know, it okay. just, that yeah. role just doesn't exist. Right. And uh -huh. so, and so the, you know, the folks that are, that are working on the products definitely, you know, have to understand that stuff too. Yeah. Um, one thing, one thing that I found interesting dur that I learned about during Enlightening is Kim. Captain. And Captain, it was interesting to me because it does, um, it orchestrates DevOps tools. So so it's it's like a pipeline, but it's an orchestration. Yeah. It's not so brittle and stiff. And then it's um what I liked about it is with it you could retain autonomy and tooling. So it's using an event-based system to trigger like when things will happen next. But then it's sure. up to the the team that's implementing it, like what tools they want to actually do what action when they get the the event. Sure. So different teams can choose a different tool chain to get through the pipeline that's being defined by Kepton at a more organizational level. That is interesting. As, there's, yeah, yeah there's I definitely shops have different, you know, thoughts on this stuff. Um, I, you know, I've had friends at Netflix and read a lot about what they do too. And um, it definitely seems that they're like, they've got the whole freedom and responsibility thing. Right. So the idea mm -hmm. is that like, you can do whatever you want, but you're mm -hmm. on the hook for it working too, right? And so, <laughs> so you know, maybe some of the stuff has changed over time. But the last that I knew, as a, a team developing, you know, part of the product, um, part of the Netflix experience itself, um, that you didn't even have to use, you know, the tools that the the you know internal platform people are building. Um, you could use whatever you want, but. 
But again, you know, you're kind of on the hook if if you do that, if you choose not to use those. And and that's an interesting idea. I think it not something that would work at every shop, you know. And uh-huh. there are other concerns that come up with that, like auditing and things like that. There are reasons mm-hmm. why people want to standardize, right? Um Yeah. Um yeah. And you touched on this a bit, but I think it at a larger company especially, it does seem kind of redundant and a lot of toil to make every application developer need to understand Kubernetes to do their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, so you mentioned Lightning. I did want to talk to you about that. So um, yeah. so you do this show. You've been doing it for a while where um, you have one of these light boards. Um, yeah. Um, and you have somebody on and interview them about a technology and draw some things on the light board. Um, I'll, I'll link to the, you know, the YouTube for the shows um, so people can watch and can get a, get an idea of what you do, but um, I wonder if you maybe you could tell us a little bit about that process, like maybe how you came up with the idea and you know what doing one of these episodes looks like. Um, I would love to. Enlightening actually uh, just hit its one year anniversary. I think February. 17th oh wow! Last year, if I congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It was the first episode. So when I'm in town, they happen at least once a week, but sometimes mm-hmm. I'm traveling and I have to be by the light board. So it's not a show that can travel with me. It's a, it's the old ball and chain, you know? And then um, the, the, the idea was born. Let's, let me just, let me paint you a picture. Are you going to paint the, it on your light board? <laughs> that won't um, work so well in the podcasting <laughs> medium, I think. <laughs> Just imagine I'm painting on the light board. <laughs> okay. So so we have uh, a little baby Whitney. She got her, she learned about Kubernetes in October of 2019. She got her first job as a cloud developer in November of 2019. Yep. Um, she she worked at IBM and, um, deploying IBM specific technologies. So, so there's some OpenShift in there, some installing stuff. So like, I touched Kubernetes a little bit, but a lot of it was just proprietary uh, IBM stuff. And um, and then on the side, a stretch a stretch project, I would make IBM Cloud YouTube videos, and so I made seven of these. And those IBM Cloud videos are Lightboard videos, where there's a a studio on the campus here in Austin, Texas, and I would drive to the studio, and there's a a production team, like at least three other people making doing all the stuff. I'm and, always um, jealous when I hear about these scenarios. Like <laughs> right? I have friends who work at Microsoft and they have this big studio and they get on a stream and there's all these people there and stuff. And I'm just like, oh my God, yeah. that would I, be amazing. I didn't I didn't appreciate it enough. Um so I think I made my first one in August of, of 2020. That seems about right because they contacted me. It was like the pandemic happened and then pretty soon. Um so less than a year after even knowing what Kubernetes is. I they let me and the and the content was 100 percent me. I made a video, what is at CD on the IBM Cloud YouTube channel. But because I know what nothing is, I don't assume anything. I'm coming, I'm really teaching it at a very beginner level because I am that very beginner le- yeah. <laughs> level. Yeah. And so um, and so it actually like my videos at IBM did really well for those reasons for those reasons. I did what is Kafka, what is RabbitMQ? Some about event-driven architecture. I was just doing stuff related to what I was touching in my job there. Yeah. So pretty soon I figured out, oh, I like this video stuff more than I like this sales stuff I'm doing. How can I do more <laughs> of that? And <laughs> and um and then I learned that there's this title called developer advocate. 
And and my friend Nigel told me that there's a developer advocacy position opened at open at VMware. Yeah. Now I'd read the description for like a Kubernetes expert developer advocate, and I know, I know I'm wildly underqualified, but it, there's no harm in 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 asking. I'm I have a little I have a I hope I don't offend anyone, but I have a little um, mantra in my head, and that is, if I'm confronted with something that's scary and I don't know whether I should do it, I think to myself, what would a mediocre white man do? <laughs> Oh, oh my God, that's hysterical. Um, he would definitely <laughs> apply for that job being yeah. underqualified, right? One hundred percent. Absolutely. And so, and and really, there's nothing to lose. Like, really, to me, failing is not trying. It's not. It's not being rejected. It's not even doing it in the first place. That's the real failure. Um. So I applied for this job that I was wildly underqualified for, and. I, d- I went through the whole interview process and I did not get the job. They're like, no, you're wildly underqualified for this job, but we like you so much. We're just going to make a whole new position on this team and bring you on. And wow, buy you a life that's board. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it's I can't even I still can't believe that part happened. And then so then fast forward. It's so I, I have to I, say. Between yeah. you and me and the people listening to the podcast, <laughs> um, I, I interviewed there once and did not oh, get yeah? the job and uh-huh. they did not create a whole new position just for me. So so that is not, I think, the typical experience. <laughs> no, no. And um, yeah, it it was I I still feel wildly grateful. And now that um now that I'm experiencing some success, I feel like wildly happy about it. But I I like started going to a new therapist just to talk about imposter syndrome for a while because wow. just to work through imposter syndrome because it was a lot. Um, so then, so little baby Whitney made these lightboard videos, was just learning about Kubernetes, and then all of a sudden finds her with a lightboard studio at her home. Yeah, um, with a with a job on a team that seems very important with a title that I didn't know was like a good title, but yeah, and so um. It took me a few stops and starts and to figure out like what am I supposed to be doing in this new role? How can I be myself and still and and make good content? Because I can't magically become a, a expert overnight, no matter how much I study. And I tried to study that much. And um and so what ended up the show was born from this idea that I I need to be my true self. I don't know everything, but there are a lot of people learning Kubernetes right now and a lot of people at my skill level. So I just need to speak to people like me. And um, and so the the idea behind enlightening is that I find a topic that I want to learn about. I invite an expert on to come teach me about that topic. And I'm behind my light board in the streaming show. The expert is not allowed to share their screen. There are no coding demos. They just have to teach me my with my young my my child's mind ab- about their technology, and I'm going to draw out my understanding as it as it happens. So the lightboard is like this great tool to make sure I can't pretend that I understand something that I don't actually understand because it's I'm documenting it as I say it, and it's a reason for me to repeat what I've said and to ask clarifying questions. So we end up having a really great conversation. And and even from the very beginning of the episode, I have to be like, hey, I just got here. 
I don't know what Kubernetes was like before when your tool came here. Like Argo CD, like I don't understand what it used to be like to deploy an application on on Kubernetes. So we paint me a picture about what it was like before, and then help me understand what your problem, what your your technology is solving. And then you, we can get into more of like the architecture of how it works and some of the bells and whistles. But really just like, I need the, the. you cannot make any assumptions with me because I just, I won't get them. <laughs> but I mean, what a great way to learn though, right? Like oh, having my... these people come on and explain all their stuff to you. And yeah, what yeah. a gift. What a gift that I get to have one-on-one -on -one learning sessions with experts around every technology. So at first, like a year ago when I was doing this, I was doing shows like who should use Kubernetes and like uh, how do you add persistent storage to Kubernetes and stuff like that. But I've since gotten into right now, I'm just specializing in CNCF projects instead of doing more general episodes like that. Awesome. Yeah. So um, Mark Mandel, who used to co-host the Google Kubernetes podcast, is actually a friend of mine and or no, the Google Cloud podcast he co-hosted. And he actually mentioned to me at one point that like that was kind of his strategy too. Like he was somebody who I think was very experienced at that point, but it was the same sort uh -huh. of thing. It was like, there's a new thing I want to learn about. And so I just uh -huh. invite the person on who knows all about it and make them explain <laughs> it to me, which I think is just brilliant. It's it's a gift. It's an absolute gift. And it's it's um, you know, I it's privileged. I, I have privilege that I get to do it this way. Not everyone can. And I hope I hope that the experience of someone telling me can translate to an experience of someone telling, uh, like, if you watch that as a beginner, you're getting as much out of it. And it's a streaming show. And there's all there's always like the kindest. I have this the best chat. And so there's always like some really nice, thoughtful questions happening. So if you ever catch one live and you're a learner just like me, you can ask all the clarifying questions you need to ask, too. So you can get the one on one session with the expert as well. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if um, if you want to mention if there are any specific technologies or things that you learned about, like through through doing the shows. Uh, hey, native was a formative one for me because at that time I was trying to learn Kubernetes and it was hard and overwhelming. And what Carlos Santana taught Knative serving, and part of that was just level setting, like what is a Kubernetes. Um, a deployment bare minimum look like and we diagrammed it out on the board and understanding that problem before we can understand how Knative solves that problem and so that really um helped a, a lot of things gel for me that particular episode in addition to the fact that i had touched Knative before at ibm yeah. and i had just been i just learned like Knative is serverless and i was like oh i have no use for serverless i put it in a box put it in my <laughs> brain closet and 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 I never thought about Knative again. So then when I learned about Knative, it does so much more than just a scale to zero, which I prefer to say over serverless, which is a loaded and confusing term. Um, but it does so much more than just scale to zero. And that kind of opened my eyes to to preconceptions about about tech that that one can have and that I certainly had in my very early state of learning and 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 even Knative has been around forever. So Carlos was even careful to say like, oh, it used to be that you had to do, there was a build element that's now Tecton. You had to do build and serving and eventing all together in one big Knative binary. But now they're all, yeah, but now build is Tecton. It's not even the same project anymore. And now these 
you can do a venting totally separate from serving. And you used to have this heavy Istio layer and now you can have this light layer. And to me, like that's all at the time that was all about my head. I know what's up now. But um <laughs> <laughs> but uh but just the fact that seeing how things morph and change over the years and how um uh, impermanent everything is and how yeah. and how much tech how much these projects have to do with perception too. All of that was really interesting to me about the K Native serving episode. Let yeah, me I what do you K-Native. what do you mean by the perception thing? You mean just the well, fact that you had that wrong perception or well, definitely I had the wrong perception, but then clearly Carlos is saying K-Native has been along, around for so long. Apparently, I was getting from this episode, K-Native used to be big and heavy and clunky, and they've done a lot to change that, but it's not enough just to do a lot to change it. Somehow <laughs> you have to tell people that it's different now, <laughs> and that's actually a really hard problem to solve. It is really hard, and I'm speaking at a place that makes open source tools and just like, yeah, this is a constant thing. It's like you add some great new feature and like nobody knows it exists. So yeah, um, yeah. People yeah. are like, I already know what V cluster is. I don't need to do any more reading about V cluster ever. And you're just like jumping up and down screaming like, yeah, well, we did this thing. Look at me. I literally, <laughs> I literally just did a talk that was like called like V cluster tips and tricks. And it was literally just like 10, like of those kinds of things that we added to the project <laughs> that I thought people didn't know about. Yeah. Um, yeah, wow. And 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 as far as I know, I don't really know a good answer for that. Uh, like how the, an effective way to broadcast when you've made a change that yeah. is noteworthy, you know? Yeah. Um, what do you think that some of the challenges are for people who are like learning Kubernetes and cloud native stuff? Uh. uh I can speak to my challenges and sure. probably can, uh, I can speak to my challenges and yeah. mine would be, uh, I can't remember if we spoke about this already, but mine yeah, would for, be- For those people who are, who are listening and wouldn't be aware of this because of the magic of podcast editing, we talked for like 20 minutes and then the app stopped recording and we didn't know it and- talked for like another 20 minutes and so now we are um in the in the section where we're repeating things we said earlier kind of but like not sure it's so it's we've, we've had a practice run that should be really good and actually this, this conversation is significantly different than the one it we is had earlier that wasn't recorded. it is absolutely um and and of course very much better you all are lucky to hear this version uh and so <laughs> so a big problem I had first coming into it is even watching my very first video about like what is Kubernetes is it's just like the vocabulary around what things are. So I didn't understand. I didn't know what Linux really was when I first like was learning about distributed computing. Oh yeah. Um, so I didn't understand like a box is the same thing as a machine is the same thing as a node is the same thing as a VM and like. It all just means computer. It's the what, same thing like, as a server. It's weird. Absolutely. Oh my God, a server. And, and the server one actually took me longer than the other ones yep. to put together. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, why can't you just say computer? Why has it got to be so hard? <laughs> <laughs> and similarly, um, uh, all the different names for resource objects or like saying resources or just saying objects. And then uh, it's 
and and effect, especially the definition files, like saying this is a configuration file, this is a manifest, this is a definition. Yeah, um, yeah, so many yeah. different names for for the same kind of the same file. Uh, and I I feel like I'm still kind of come coming across those sometimes. Like, oh, application definition is the same thing as application configuration. Oh my gosh, <laughs> like. <laughs> the Linux, the I, Linux piece is interesting. Like not having had Linux experience, because like uh-huh. I think a lot of the the folks who came into cloud native at least around the time that I did would have already had that, right? And so, mm, yeah, um, I think that that there there is a concern that some people have that like there are people nowadays who are learning things that haven't necessarily learned like the building blocks that those things. Yeah were built on. And I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily think that's bad, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. but, but it's definitely different. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I backed up and I started, um, I started getting, or just doing like a Udemy course for getting a CKA certified Kubernetes administrator. Yeah. And, um, and even in my first lesson, it was like, you know, you do this like cube cuddle pod describe command describe pod you know, I know. Yeah. I <laughs> yep. Cute cuddle describe pod command. And then you just pipe grep image, pipe grep dash I image. And I was just like, you do what now? What the hell? Like, what? what is grep? What is pipe? Like, how is that symbol even? Yeah. Like, I didn't know what anything was. I was that clueless. And so then I just backed right out of that course. And I was like, I got a, I got a Linux, um, learned the com- Linux command line book and spent some time with that and then came back to the CKA. That's smart. Thing, which I yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that, um, you know, in theory for someone who's like a user in a cluster, you know, and, and just developing applications, maybe they don't need to know all those things. But I think that mm-hmm. especially who, people who are more on the infra side that like having some of those Linux basics down um, helps a lot. I went through mm-hmm. a period of time where I wanted to like kind of refresh some of my Linux knowledge because I'd forgotten so much. And I mm-hmm. actually took the class for Red Hat's um, certification. They do their Linux certification. I actually didn't even end up taking the test, but I just took the class to kind of like, kind of refresh myself, and it really helped a lot. They're yeah, nice. Do you know yeah. I love Julia Evans' work. I don't know if you know her. Oh she does yes, of zines. course. Yeah. So I've been spending some time with like, what is a container? Her she has a zine about what is a container, and I've been enjoying that very much mm-hmm. she is fantastic a DNS one too that's really lit up the sky for me yeah yeah she's fantastic yeah. at explaining technical concepts in a way that's mm-hmm. like super super accessible to people yeah yeah for sure i i yeah. will link to julia in the show notes um excellent yeah so the the show that you do enlightenment you know you're drawing on the board you're explaining these concepts um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, during the KubeCon keynote, you did art as well. Like you drew these illustrations <laughs> to sort of help explain things. Um, you know, you, you did have this photography background, like your art, your degree was an art degree. Um, yeah. and I'm wondering if you, um, if you have other examples of like ways that you think you maybe use your more artistic side, like in your, in your tech career. It's funny. Because I have a lot of friends in Austin who are artists, who are like real artists. And uh, 
And to them, I just like do some chicken scratches. Like I don't to them, I don't feel like a much of an artist, but I feel wildly technical to them. They're like, wow, she's like so mathy and whatever. And then the flip side of that is in the tech space. I I maybe don't seem incredibly technical. I know actually a lot about a li- like a little bit about a lot of things, but like my technical knowledge isn't super deep. But then, like, people think I seem wildly artistic. <laughs> <laughs> That's super funny. I mean, I could never do what you do in terms of, like, the the drawings and stuff. Not with that attitude. <laughs> I was I the kid who... I all the time. <laughs> I was the kid who could not color inside the lines in grade school. So it's been, a, been an ongoing regret we, of mine. This is, a, this is a podcast. So I just want to say, like, the keynote, for example, those... They look like the the illustrations look like they were done by a nine year old. Like they're not like super. <laughs> they look like MS paints. There's uh, it's all very rudimentary. Uh, yeah, it's colorful and fun, but it doesn't. It's not um technically skilled. I will say. Yeah, but it does a good job of getting the the point across, which I think is what's great. As far as whether I do that, besides enlightening. I mean, I do a lot of goofy promotion for Enlightening where I do funny poses and stuff. I feel like my photography experience (laughs) comes into play for just knowing how to pose myself in a way that's visually pleasing. And and I like being goofy. I like being lighthearted and fun and not taking myself too seriously and giving other people permission to be the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's Not great. They that need my permission in doing so. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. But I can't think of. Okay. That's other... fine. Yeah. I'm, I'll tell you I'm just something curious. fun though. My, yeah. my brother, my, I have more than one brother, but the same brother who I toured with, he was a musician. He did my intro for enlightening. So that, that the nice jingle that comes on at the beginning of every episode. Yeah. It was done by my that's brother. That's super cool. I also make goofy stickers of everything. Yeah, I saw the spider and rainbow stickers from the keynote. Those were super cute. I'm sure I have some somewhere, but I always forget to like stick things on my laptop. Um, You are doing another streaming series now, a newer one Mm -hmm. that you do with Victor, um, who is a pretty well-known person in the community. Um, Do you want to tell us about that? I love Victor so much. I feel... Just like I feel like wild gratitude that I even got the chance to have this job in the first place. I feel wild gratitude that I got the opportunity to do a keynote. I'm like, again, in like awe that like I'm doing a show with Victor. It's so I feel so, so much gratitude. But um, so what happened with that was Victor and I, uh, I we just you know how it is. We all see each other around at conferences. So Victor and I became friends when I spoke at JBCN in Barcelona and also, he was a guest on my show at about the same time. So that just solidified it all. And then um, when it became came time to do KubeCon proposals, I knew I wanted to do one with Victor. And I've since learned that Victor says yes to everybody who who says, hey, do you want to do a, a KubeCon proposal? But I, in the moment, I didn't know that. So when he said yes to me, I felt special. What actually happened is I'm a bit of a planner. And I just got to him first before the other 10 people he said yes to. That's did. really funny. <laughs> so mental note if you want to collaborate with victor just get it's a it's a race it's not whether he agrees to it <laughs> so um but then we so we scheduled a meeting to like write the abstract or sit down and even come up with an idea 
And we're like in a Zoom call and we're just looking at each other and we're like, okay, what are we going to talk about? Because Victor knows everything and I don't know very much. I mean, I, 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 at this point, I got to say, I know some things for like, I don't want to undersell myself, but um, compared to Victor, he's been around for decades. He's very prolific. He has a um, a DevOps toolkit YouTube channel. And I, I, I do not know how he makes as much content. It is hugely successful too. And yeah, uh, he has a lot of opinions. There isn't a technology he hasn't touched. He knows everybody. And so we're just like, what is, it's like a lion and a lamb sitting in a a Zoom call. (laughs) Like, okay, how are we going to join forces here? What's going on? And so I I had thought of, I was like, I have this idea. It seems kind of outrageous. It might be terrible. I don't know. And he's just like, just tell it to me, just bring it. And I was like, well, what I've always wanted to see like what if for my mental model to try to understand the whole CNCF space is like I've really wanted to know what it would be like, like a linear view of what it would be like for an application to go from production, like all the way to serving end users. And like I, I've asked that question to people before, and I understand that it's too complex that to answer easily. But like there's got to be like even if it's an opinionated way, like something so i could see the the picture and i was like maybe it could even be like choices maybe it's like choose your own adventure and then like like so it was the first and only idea that ever came from our brainstorming session <laughs> and he like like it took him like 10 seconds and he's it's like that's a that's an amazing idea like and and we wrote the abstract came together quickly and then we pretty much we started realizing the scope of the thing is just so huge and um, and we should make it into a streaming show that we did that we do together. So we have a streaming show called You Choose, where we want to take. So we we hope in not even hope we're going to have the whole touch the whole CNCF landscape, which Victor says is over two hundred projects. So we we have and when we're going to do a choose your own adventure style journey through the whole dang thing. Um, in the short term, right now we're on chapter one. We just felt we just uh, recorded episode three this morning. Okay. So chapter one is simply getting the application from the developer's laptop to a development environment, and we have seven episodes in chapter one. So ep- episode one was about what, how are we going to build a container, and we had three different choices: uh, cloud native build packs, um, Carvel K build. No, yes, Carvel K build. And Lima, which uses nerd uh, container D and nerd cuddle underneath. And so we had three guests, one representing each of those projects. And the guest each gets only five minutes to describe their wow. They can use slides and demo. But again, we want the bare minimum of like what is important about your tech. We don't want the bells and whistles. That's distracting. Like we want you to and we want you to take the time to think about what's good. And, and what fits our story rather than just spill it, spitting out everything you know. So three guests, five minutes each. And then we put a vote up and then people vote on which one they want to see. And then whatever one we don't want to say wins because it's not a competition. Um, so whichever one is chosen is the one that will build into an ongoing demo in the next episode. So episode oh, one was super interesting. Yeah, it's going to be so it is so fun. So episode one was building in a container image and uh, cloud native build packs was chosen. So episode two was um, a container image registry and Harbor was chosen for that. 
So our demo right now is a, an image built with Cloudina Bill Packs that's now in a harbor registry. Okay. The, the one we just had this morning, we had four guests on this morning. We had, um, so we're talking about uh, defining the application or configuring it, same thing. Um, and that had uh, CD Kate's, Carvel YTT, Helm, and Customize, a guest for each. So there's a, a poll up on Twitter right now if you want to watch the episode and vote. Oh, so it's not, to... it's not over yet? It's... Oh, no, no, no. Well, we just, we're just getting started. And this is going to go for years. <laughs> it'll, it'll probably be, the vote will probably be done by the time this comes out. And I think that it's going to be. Oh, oh, okay. Fair enough. Well, you can visit it online. There'll be something. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah. And you can see which one from, which one won from that and yeah. check out what episode we're on and weigh it, your, your opinion. There is, uh, some folks are, tr are trying to make it get people to vote for just whatever seems the hardest just so victor will have to build that into a demo that's really funny <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean an the opportunity the, to troll victor yeah yeah the first thing that came into my mind was, was like whether you all are open to bribery or if there's some <laughs> way to i guess not it doesn't matter if it's the audience voting so maybe yeah yeah, yeah. i don't think we could even if we wanted to how do you bribe uh, them this way the <laughs> i'll think about this yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, oh yeah, we'll touch everything eventually. It's going to be so fun. And then I'm trying to make enlightening episodes to keep up with the pace of YouTube so that I know about every technology at least a little bit before I'm speaking about it in public. Just as a courtesy to everyone who has to listen to me talk. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, You have mentioned dealing with imposter syndrome which is something mm -hmm. that I deal with as well. And um, I think it's it's good that people talk about this. I think it's important, yeah. you know, for for people to understand. Um, I think that um, there's the assumption that you get imposter syndrome as a beginner and then maybe it yeah. goes away after a little uh -huh. bit. And that's not been my experience at all. Like, I think it's <laughs> followed me around for for much of my career. Um uh -huh. I'm wondering, like, like what you have done in your life to sort of help deal with that. I definitely, like, I go to regular therapy all the time, but I, I took advantage of, uh, like, VMware's benefits to get, like, a coach person to specifically work with me about imposter syndrome. Wow, that's and, fantastic. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it was very helpful. And what I got from that, let's see if I can remember. It's been a while. Um, it's, like, just... If someone compliments you, you're meant to own your success outright. You don't make excuses for, for oh, like, so, and I try to do that. And I'm actually, I'm pretty good at it. I'm improving. Um, I can say I was surprised to get the keynote without disowning the fact that I might deserve to have it. Like, I'm doing hard with my words to not, yes. to not say things like, yeah, I don't deserve to have it, but. But it's not say, like, it's not irrational to be surprised, right? Because <laughs> right? it's incredibly competitive <laughs> and there's a lot of really amazing people submitting talks. Yeah. Yeah. Or um, take luck out of the equ equation. So I I keep saying I'm grateful, but I try not to say I was just I was lucky mm. because I because um, like I need to learn to own my success. And and I mean, without any ego, the fact that I'm having these quote unquote lucky things happen so consistently maybe means that I have something to do with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think it's I'm trying my best to own that. Yeah. Yeah. Um I mean honestly you're really lucky to be on this show. So 
<laughs> Absolutely. I really, I am though. I don't know. I'm uh, grateful. I'll say grateful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I what think that, I think that's a really good attitude. I think that, um, yeah, probably one of the hardest things that, one of the things that I have trouble with the most is like comparing myself to people, you mm-hmm. know, and I think I even mentioned this in the episode that I did with Joe Bita. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but like, he's literally a person who I would see on Twitter or I would see him do his streaming show and mm-hmm. I would feel like, oh, I'm just like dumb compared to this guy when it comes to yeah. Kubernetes. And then, of course, uh-huh. like he's one of the people who invented Kubernetes. So it's <laughs> completely irrational <laughs> for me to ever expect to know as much about it as he does. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I did 100% when I first got to VMware think I, I, I will never know as much as my colleagues. Like I was around people and they just knew so much. And I do feel now that I, I'm i not meant to know what they know, or at least not the way they know it. Like, I'm meant to be my full self, and my full self mm. resonates with other people. And and it's not about, like, quantity of what you know or or even technical chops necessarily. I think um, just being honest about being like, I didn't know all the different words for computer when I started. Like, that's, I guess, <laughs> technically an embarrassing story, but I think it's something that people can relate to and and just being honest about where you are and where you're coming from you me anybody is that's like being human is is how people relate to you yeah i think that's that's uh, that's all spot on and like yeah. there's this weird thing that happens too where um i mean i definitely have this where you know people sometimes um or i would say even often assume that i know more than what i really do you know, even, mm-hmm. you know, just because yeah. I've been in the industry for a long time. I'm, and so I have the opposite problem, but yeah, I can relate. Yeah. Well, I'm also one of those white guys you were talking about too. So that, that probably doesn't hurt, but, um, but yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, and so besides doing these shows, um, uh-huh. where you have people on and get them to teach you about things, like what are some of the other, um, ways that you like to like learn about new technologies? I was going to say a couple more things about imposter syndrome. Then go ahead. One is, this is hard to do, but try not to care what anybody thinks of you. There's a, a an idiom, um, what other people think about you is none of your business. Which, <laughs> oh, which wow. I like that. I don't know where it came from, but I like that quote. Um, today, during the stream with Victor, someone tech, someone put in the, in the stream chat, that lady laughs too much. And I was just like, wow, I think actually I have the urge. I haven't done it yet because the stream was just freshly over, but I have the urge to screenshot it and like put it on my Twitter and be like a badge of honor. You know, like I'm like, yeah. I definitely want to be the lady that laughs too much. But um, but I think an early, even me like just getting started at VMware because I wasn't very secure yet. I think that really could have taken down my mood and my like I do laugh a lot. I accidentally put the comment on screen when I meant to comment something else. So then I put myself in a position where I need to address it. And I was just like, mm-hmm. you know what, friends? That's just who I am. <laughs> and yeah. if that's not for you, <laughs> then then probably this show's not for you. But <laughs> thank you for your feedback. <laughs> and it's um yeah. So just own your own who you are, even if it you can't please everyone all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And then other and then the other thing is similar to what we were talking about before is when you there are plenty of times where I see okay, 
there sometimes you see someone on a stage and you're like, wow, I will never know as much as them. And it's intimidating. But there's also the flip side of that, where sometimes you see people on a stage and you're like, wow, why do they think they deserve to be up there? Like they haven't prepared at all. Like they're not taking it very seriously. Like where do they get the, the cojones to feel like that, that people should be listening to them? I see both types, right? Sure. When you see the, the type of person who's up there who just flatly deserves, thinks they deserve to be up there even without being prepared. Instead of like being mad at that person, which I definitely have been, but I think that the thing to do there is be like, I want that energy in my life and like figure <laughs> out how to channel like that. Like if that person can get up there and be unprepared, imagine what happens when I'm prepared. I what, what like, of course, I deserve to be up there if I took the time to to use like everyone's time is valuable. And anyone watching the show, listening to a podcast, your time is very valuable. And as someone who's putting content out into the public, I I appreciate that you're sharing your time with me and I am going to treat your time with honor. And I do that by being prepared before I'm in front of an audience. And that makes me feel um, I don't have to know everything. But if I know that I've tried my best, then that gives me peace of mind that I'm not an imposter. Yeah, that's a great point. Right. I've definitely seen some folks that are very well known in DevRel get up and just wing it sometimes and have it not go well, you know? And yeah, mm -hmm. and yeah it's it's kind of shocking sometimes, but it's like I think that that probably the there's a confidence that comes with having done a million talks, you know, and you just mm -hmm. feel like you could you could do it without without preparing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I was asking, don't prepare. I'm just saying channel the energy of someone who doesn't prepare, absolutely but still feels like they deserve it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, all right. So I was asking you about learning. So besides like doing your fantastic shows, like what are some other ways that you like to learn about new technologies? So I have a this is a little bit off from the question you're asking, but I'm going to okay. I'm going to I'm going to morph it into what I want to talk about, which is <laughs> this is a very important <laughs> skill for politicians and all kinds of other people. <laughs> it's an answer the question that you wish they asked, not the one they asked. <laughs> exactly. Um. Uh. So I my youngest brother, not the musician, he taught himself Japanese with a strategy he read a book called fluent forever that he bought me a copy of that book and it's a, a strategy called spaced repetition learning and so i he gave me the book fluent forever and it happened before i started boot camp and i started to teach myself spanish because i want to learn spanish I'm, I'm actually in the progress of learning spanish and um and but pretty soon when i switched to tech i realized oh there's no way i can study spanish and then when I got into cloud and realized the vast amount of stuff I need to know to <laughs> succeed, I started making, using this spaced repetition learning style, but for cloud knowledge instead of for language learning. So it's, a, it's an extremely efficient way to learn very large amounts of information. So can you explain it? Um, spaced repetition learning is um, when you learn something like in your brain, like physically uh, a, a neural connection is formed. And if you want to strengthen that, the stronger that connection is, the stronger it is you know that information. And so if you want to strengthen that connection, the most efficient way to do it is to, to introduce to yourself to the information again right before you're about to forget it. 
So at first, it's only a 10 minute. Well, let me think. It's like a one minute interval. And it's not this much exact when you're actually studying the cards. But like at first, you'll see it once. You get the flashcard right. And then you'll see it again one minute later. And then you get that flashcard right. You'll see it again 10 minutes later. And then you'll see it again the next day, then three days from now, then a week from now. Then oh, interesting. Now. And so um, I've been I've been doing this. I did it on and off at IBM. And then once I got to VMware, I've been consistent about it so it's been about two years that i've studied my anki deck every day and um right now i have cards that i won't see again for like three or four years like bye friends <laughs> or i can see cards of like what i was learning when i was first getting started and i think to myself all the time like that was a really silly thing that i needed to mem felt like i needed to memorize um is anki is that like the name of an app or anki is the name of an app yes it's open source actually a-n-k-i is how you spell that mm -hmm. okay there are different plugins and yeah i'm pretty sure it's open source it's great and it has shaped so when i do an enlightening episode i have the gift of being one-on-one -on -one taught about a technology but then i also then maybe later that day or the next day i'll turn around and make anki cards of the great of the main points and then I just study them when they come up. I don't really think about when I need to study the thing next. But that knowledge will stick with me indefinitely as long as I keep studying my cards. And so in theory, I don't, you know, don't test me or anything. But in theory, if I've ever touched a, a technology on my show, I should, if you ask me about it seven years from now, I still should be able to tell you some of the main points. Wow. Whenever. I have um, I've forgotten more than than I've learned. I think about technology <laughs> at this point. <laughs> well, That's... and then there's going to be, I do wonder, like, because technology changes so fast, like, I'll I'll start to get to cards and be like, well, that's not true anymore. Yeah. That's yeah. how that goes. Or what? Who even cares about Kubernetes now? It's five years later, you know? Uh, we're we're on to the next thing, whatever <laughs> yeah. that is. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, this has been a little bit of a marathon since we uh, had 20 minutes that aren't accounted for even in the recording. Um, so I think I uh, we should probably wrap it up, but um, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been super, super fun to chat with you. Um, I think that you are um, someone who really uh, has a lot to offer to the community, um, that you're doing really cool content that, that can benefit a lot of people. So um, it was really, really nice to have you on here. Um, is there anything else that you would like to plug for the listeners besides like enlightening and the you choose thing? Um, I'll make sure to link to those in the show notes. Yeah, I I just started my own YouTube channel, which is very underpopulated right now. And I'm um, uh, for the you choose. Basically, I'm, I'm challenging myself to make a one minute YouTube short about over my recent enlightening episode. So that's really the the fresh content that's coming into the the YouTube channel, but it also is a single place where you can see all the enlightening episodes, all the YouTube episodes, all of my the talks, the conference talks I've given that are published. So if you're interested in finding my video-based work, that my YouTube channel is where it's at, which is at Wiggity Whitney. Cool. I will link to that too. Um as the kids say, like subscribe Hit the bell. <laughs> All of that. I didn't know about the hit the bell one. I I've avoided saying those things so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, well, thank you so much, Whitney. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that you thought of me and invited me to be on the show. 
KubeCuddle is created and hosted by me, Rich Burroughs. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider telling a friend. It helps a lot. Big thanks to Emily Griffin, who designed the logo. You can find her at daybrighton.com. And thanks to Mon Placer for our music. You can find more of his work at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Thanks a lot for listening. 